You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, into hour two of the program on a Flames game day. Flames and the Dallas Stars for the first time this season from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. 6.30 puck drop tonight. Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg goes at 5.30. Derek Wills and Megan Nicholson on the call right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Connor Zeri, expected to make his NHL debut. No Dylan Dubé for the Calgary Flames tonight. We'll have more Flames coverage coming up a little bit later on. We'll take a look at the opposition. The 5-1-1 Dallas Stars is Brian Ray's going to join us. Of course, this is Sportsnet Today, coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Hour 1. Lots of Flames talk, of course, on a game day. And checked in with our fantasy football guru, Andy McNamara. If you missed any of that, check it out on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. We're kicking off Hour 2 with another one of our Sportsnet Today regulars. We go on the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in Ailish Forfar from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Ailish, happy Wednesday. How are you? Hey, good. Happy belated Halloween. Yeah. Spooky, spooky in Calgary right now, eh? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, spooky's one word for it. That might be a little too positive, though. Uh, great job on the Hanson Brothers costumes yesterday. Whose idea was that? Uh, okay, of course mine. My co-host, Obviously. Justin, is, I'm like, come on, let's be fun. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do it, so I ordered it. Shout out Amazon because I literally ordered it the less than 24 hours before our show and it showed up perfect timing, got everything we needed for it. It was fun. And so he did smile and he enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm getting my way into the fun, Justin, but it was good. And then Frank Cervelli joined us and he was wearing the other Hanson Brothers jersey and it wasn't planned. It was crazy. You guys didn't plan that with Frank? No, he, I swear, he showed up, we, we knew like a couple minutes before because we could see him in the video on the TV getting ready, and I'm like, this is insane. He couldn't see us, so then we sent him a picture, and all three of us, the three handsome bros, uh, he went a little bit above and beyond. He had the mullet, and he had the blood on the face, but... You know, we had to host the whole two-hour show. I didn't really want to have, like, a mullet and blood, but we, we were, like, a little bit lower version of Frank, but it was really funny. We had fun. That's hilarious. I saw the picture of you guys and Frank, and I was like, that's a fun idea, Frank. We have Frank on the station here all the time. I'm like, yeah, Sir yeah. Belly's a fun guy. I can see him uh, dressing up for the bit, but I had no idea that it was totally uh, unplanned by the three of you. That's so funny. It was good. And then we had to watch that Leafs game, which was a horror show in its own last night. So it was just a fun uh, Halloween for everyone. Yeah, speaking of spooky, uh, two-game losing streak for the Maple Leafs. And uh, it feels like you guys are going through the same process, uh, just different here in Calgary. Uh, give us this, the game story from last night. just sounds like the Kings were the better team between uh, the Leafs and the Kings last night. For sure. Like, I'll give credit to the LA Kings definitely before I rip on the Leafs a little bit. But they, they came out. They're a hard team to play against. They're tough. Uh, they're they're strong down the center. Their issue has been poor goaltending. And they got enough last night. Uh, the Maple Leafs didn't generate too many opportunities. But in terms of the Maple Leafs, like, they they looked like they did not show up. They just came off a five-game road trip. It was over a week, uh, almost two weeks of being on the road. It's it's hard. Like, I've been on road trips, too, and you come back home, 
you're kind of like jet lagged, even though you didn't travel time zones. You're just, it's a, bit, it's a bit tiring, but I mean, I'm not an NHLer making $11 million, right? So there's like that built in excuse. Some of the players said, Oh, you know, kind of a scheduled loss. It's like, yeah, but, you can't be giving up scheduled losses um, early in the season that don't look like you're giving an effort. You know what I mean? You can kind of fake it till you make it, but it just started poor. They got down 2 nothing in the first period. You would think coming out for the second that you'd have a little bit more fire under you, right? You're at home. It's a Halloween night. Like, you know, your crowd wants something. They got booed off the ice in the second period. And I think people were a little surprised that the fans were booing in game whatever, eight or nine of the season, but – I mean, that's how poor the effort was. You can't fake the fans out. Like, the fans can tell if you're giving effort or not. And it just, it was 60 minutes of lackluster performance with, like, built-in excuse that they were tired and they just come off a road trip. But, you know, you're supposed to be one of the best teams in the NHL. You're supposed to want to win a Stanley Cup. And it's just one game and it's early on. But, I, you know, I, it was a little bit disappointing, to, to say the least, and not a lot of... Um, you know, grit or pushback from the Maple Leafs is something we've seen before. So you just hope that those aren't bad habits that carry on throughout a season. But yeah, last night was was a, a bore to watch for sure. Yeah, and it's, I can understand for Leafs fans how it can be a bit frustrating because we'll always look back in the springtime and look back at what could have been points-wise for teams and Look, you, you can't underestimate the fact that Detroit's off to a pretty decent start. I think Montreal's been better than people have expected. I don't know about you. I didn't see Boston going 8-0-1 to start the season after losing their top two centers. Uh, we can say that it's early, but, I mean, these points make a difference when it's all said and done. It's not too early to be frustrated. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I, I'm frustrated if you have a bad period. Like, a bad game is, is something that it can bite you down the road. The Maple Leafs have been close to winning a division, have never really done it in the last little while. They've fallen down the rankings by one, two, three points that make a big difference. And they play the Bruins tomorrow night. Like, you bring up the Bruins. It's it's incredible what they've done. Honestly, my hot take when we started the season, uh, and it's so funny, I was like, the Bruins aren't going to make the playoffs. And I thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, I'm going to manifest this. This team is unbelievable. It's actually crazy. And we're going to watch that game tomorrow. The thing is that the Leafs can turn it on. Like, they are good enough. They're talented enough to go into TD Garden tomorrow night and be like, all right, well, we sucked, a lot. Uh, we sucked on Tuesday. Let's turn it on. But, you know, the Bruins, they don't turn it off. Like, yeah. you can be like the Bruins if you want. You could go on an 8-0-1 start to your season if you wanted. You're just as good. You should be better than the Bruins. So, I think that's what bothers Leafs fans when they see lack of consistency or, like, lack of effort. You know, if a less talented team beats you because they try harder, that's that's hard to excuse, right? It's it's all effort-based, and last night there wasn't much, but they've got to rebound really quickly because that's a huge game on Thursday night against Boston. Then they got the Sabres on Saturday night, which is obviously a massive rivalry. That'll be a fun one. And then they see Tampa Bay again. So it's like there's no really, like, games you should be circling as – okay, we can just take this one off because in the end, you know, every point will matter. The Leafs have huge expectations and they put that on themselves and they earned that. But, you know, a game like last night starts to poke holes that maybe there's something like lack of chemistry on the top line. I mean, we're going to have our show in about two hours and I think we're going to talk a little about Matthews and Marner just kind of not clicking. And then we've obviously had the goaltending debate over the last little while here. So that question remains. So, one game, not the greatest. Hopefully that they can flush that and have a good one tomorrow night. 
what's the vibe around the goaltending situation in Toronto? Is is this a legitimate conversation with Joseph Wall potentially being the one A guy in Toronto going forward? Honestly, before last night, it we were all like, we have our starter, we have our young <laughs> son that we developed through the system. And honestly, like I still, we still feel that way. It, was, yeah. it wasn't his best performance last night, but he went on a pretty great road trip. As I said, the Leafs were on five game road trip. He came in relief. Um, the second game against Tampa, when Ilya Samsonov led in three goals and four shots, Joseph Wall goes in. He wins his next three games, and he looks. It's just you can you can put them like on a split screen, and he just seems like the more stable, mature goaltender, and he's much younger and much less experienced. It's just he's easy to watch, and he's he's very confident in himself, and he's he, he's quiet in the net. And Samsonov, I think, has been very open over the last week um, that this has been hard for him to have his starter spot like in jeopardy, and he said it's been hard on his family, and like that's that's tough. Like he's, I know he's a new dad and like, there's a lot going on at home, but once your starter or your a one, a two is saying, Oh, I don't know if I have the confidence. It opens the door for someone like Joseph Wall to take the ball and run with it. And he really has that opportunity still like last night didn't ruin it for anyone, but I think it just gives Samson off an opportunity to have maybe a good game either Thursday or Saturday. And that's a good thing to be. If we're complaining that we have two goalies that are good, that's, We'll, we'll gladly take that issue. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's just he surprised a lot of people because he's young and he's less experienced than Samsonov, but he's bringing something different. And the fact that the goalies, you know, he's going to be very cheap and he's very much coming up through the lease system. I think people are kind of leaning towards, wouldn't that be a really nice story if this kid worked out? Uh, there's lots to talk about on the ice, as always, with the Maple Leafs and uh, sticking in province. There's always lots to talk about off the ice with the Ottawa oh Senators. I don't know how much you've caught of this today, Ailish, uh, with this Senators situation, but uh, Michael Anlauer was just at the press conference where Pierre Dorian was given the option to resign uh, or have his job taken away from him for this uh, indiscretion with the, the not revealing a, a no-trade clause to the Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL docking them a first round pick. What do you make of that whole situation? I'm my biggest gripe with the NHL is they seem to care more about contracts and salary cap circumvention than they do, you know, covering up sexual assault allegations in Chicago. That's the problem I have, but I actually don't mind Michael Anlauer kind of being pissed off today and saying, why am I losing a draft pick? because you guys took two years to figure this whole thing out. And I just paid you like close to a billion dollars to have this team. And now I lose a valuable piece of the puzzle going forward. It's quite the situation they've got going on. I know. And honestly, so like we just got to the office about an hour ago and we were watching that press conference. So we're still trying to like break it down, but the the big pillars is what you mentioned. Like you're punishing a team for a, a stupid mistake. Like it, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. And he used that word too. But you have bigger issues that are way more systemic and way more like personal that you're not punishing people at the same level for. So that's that's part one. And I think you said that perfectly. Part two is Michael Ann Lauer. I'm watching that. I'm like, I kind of like this guy. Like he he yeah. was straight to the point. He had like a little bit of fire about him. Um, I know he's coming in a real weird situation. Like you got the Shane Pinto stuff that happened last week. Now you have this Dadenov issue where you're losing a draft pick. And 
the thing that I saw, and I believe Frank Saravelli tweeted it, um, I'm just looking at it right now, was that Michael Anlauer said that the NHL didn't tell him about either of the investigations, the Dadnov one or the Pinto one, before he made the purchase. So for me, like that is such a terrible look on the NHL that you didn't disclose this before the guy gave you a billion dollars. To me, it's like, were you just waiting and hoping that this would go through and you would get your sale that you kind of almost botched the sale. Remember when there's people dropping out and you had celebrities and then you didn't have celebrities. And it was like, that was its own fiasco. And now you're maybe finding out that this guy didn't actually get the full truth before he bought an NHL team. Like the NHL has some major issues and seeing this and seeing like how poorly things have been handled. It's just, Oh, it's, it gives you that feeling of like, man, you just get in your own way, right? There, not that every other organization, the NBA's got their issues, the NFL, of course, but we cover this league so closely, and it just feels like every week there's been something. And unfortunately, the Ottawa Senators were kind of in the media for two straight weeks with this kind of stuff. And good for Michael Andlauer for saying, like, why is this my issue? Like, I just bought this team, and now I'm losing a draft pick. But I think, like, my, my positive spin on it is this is, like, done now. You know the Shane Pinto situation, when that will have an end date. And Ottawa is a team that I think everyone's really excited for because they have a young talent. They have a young core. That's locked up on good team-friendly deals, so we'll give credit where credit's due. Mm -hmm. But this might be the time where it's like clean house. You've got your new president of hockey ops in there. You're going to get a new GM, and you have an interim one right now. And you start fresh. You, you got the arena, maybe. You've got things that like can actually maybe shuffle the deck of where the Ottawa Centers have been. And you've got on-ice talent that can do it for you. So not that this has been like a blessing, but they could find a way to say this is all in the past. Michael Ann Lauer clearly has like a pretty good head on his shoulders, the way that he speaks, and he's like pretty forceful about like what he wants to do. All right, so here's your opportunity. Like You got rid of an issue. You got rid of another issue. It's like blank slate now, and all eyes are on you, and DJ Smith better coach pretty well over the next stretch. <laughs> yeah, they're all the change, and you're sitting there as the coach, where it's usually the easiest position to change around. you got to feel yeah. a little uncomfortable right now knowing know, that your guy's gone. Around. He's looking around being like, uh-oh, I better not be next, so <laughs> yeah. we better win a couple games. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Eilish uh, Forfar is along with us. She's our Wednesday regular here on Sportsnet today, uh, checking all things NHL. Eilish, I've got to ask you a couple more topics to get with you. I'm curious mm – -hmm. When I say Joe Thornton and the video of him released by the Sharks, he's shirtless. He's still got the beard. He's just rocking Joe Thornton style. What comes to mind when you think about the career for, for Joe Thornton and the fact that it was, you know, 24 NHL seasons and even some time in Toronto? But what just comes to mind when you think about the career of Joe Thornton? He's such a one-of-a-kind guy on and off the ice, like Jumbo Joe, the shirt off tarps off video like when we saw that I think actually we were on the air and uh when it was posted and it was you know we knew it was coming but when you saw it 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 was like oh man like it's Jumbo Joe one of the guys you'd wish had a cup you know you yeah. wish that he'd be that guy he'll be a first ballot hall of famer but he's top of the list of someone you wish got a chance to win but when you think about him it's longevity like he played for a very, very long time and stuck with two teams for a really long time. And that means a lot when you look at someone's resume, right? Like you bounce around, you bounce around, but his guy like put roots in a team. He helped young cores develop into like veterans. And he did that for a tiny short stay here in Toronto. And whenever we got a chance to like talk about Joe Thornton in the city, 
um, that was a really interesting time. Like we had, we still have some young players like Marner and Matthews and we had Nylander at the time. It's like those guys could have learned two, three things from Jumbo Joe. And that's, that's something they're going to take forever. Like you play with someone that's played as many games as him and he's had that longevity. You learn a lot. So Seeing that he's on his way out of the playing profession, I did see that he's going to be joining uh, Hockey Canada's like management group, I think, for the Spengler Cup coming up. Um, and that's, you know, Spengler Cup people don't really care too much about, which is too bad, but that's the foot in the door. Maybe he does something like Shane Doan. He does something like some of the other veterans that have had opportunities to get into hockey, however he does. Because he did say in his retirement video, like, I'll see you around the rinks. So he's a guy that's never going to get rid of hockey, but I – he looks like a guy that's going to get into like gardening, like organic <laughs> and like, he'll have a nice vineyard somewhere and you know, he'll, he'll mix it. He'll have a nice life. Like we'll, we'll watch Jumbo Joe and be like, I wish I could do that. But I think he'll be around and his, his impact is like, it's league wide. Right. So that's yeah. pretty, pretty somebody that's been able to impact so many teams and so many players that have gone from young players to now older players. Uh, last but certainly not least on the topics I wanted to bring up with you today, as a, as a former athlete, uh, we're talking a lot in the hockey world and remembering the life of Adam Johnson after uh, a really unfortunate incident over in, in Europe and how his life ended, Ailish. And you spent a lot of time in hockey, and the NHL is exploring it. I know the Penguins have said their ECHL teams and their AHL teams are going to be mandated uh, to wear neck guards. How much of a conversation was neck guards or cut protection even in, in your line of playing pro hockey and going up through some of the highest levels of women's hockey, how much was that discussed? How much do you think it needs to be discussed going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think it was interesting because as a female player, like I don't think we ever didn't wear neck guards. I was trying to think back, and I played NCAA, so in the United States, different rules there. Yep. Um, and I played hockey growing up. I played uh, in, in boys AAA, so I played with a lot of different sets of rules, but never did I encounter a time where it was optional for me. Um, and the only time there's something that was optional was mouth guards, and we ended up just mostly wearing those, like hanging out of your mouth like Brady Kachuk or Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the neck guard issue for me was never an issue in terms of, oh, should we or should we not? I think when I was growing up, they were always the most like uncomfortable pieces of fabric. They were thick, like they kind of had that bib. I don't remember if you remember those bib ones that you tucked under your shoulder pads. Yep. Like if anything, it was just like, oh, they should make these better. And now I, I still play and I have one of the thin, like cut resistant undershirts. Mm-hmm. And the thing I did notice is they don't really make any for women. So I'm wearing a men's one, doesn't matter. But um, it's just so easy to put on and it's not uncomfortable. It's, yeah, maybe not aesthetically like my swag isn't 10 out of 10, but I don't care because like you see something like that, you see something that happened to the Bruins kid the other day on his eye. Like there's so much that can go wrong in, in literally the blink of an eye in the split second. I mean, women, we've always worn cages, so we haven't had to to face like as many of like the facial injuries. But seeing what we saw last weekend is is absolutely it's devastating. I really hope that this changes things. I've had conversations with teammates or with my some of my friends that are still currently playing pro or with the Olympics, and they like without a question will be wearing cut resistant, whether it's even the back of their skates, whether it's their wrists, whether it's their neck, because is it just there's no words for watching that for understanding like the the consequences of one moment so i really hope that it it 
picks up traction in the NHL because that sets the standard too. If you look up and you see Matthews wearing something and you're a kid at the game, then that's cool for you too. So they kind of have the responsibility in a sense to say like, whatever, I want to put this on because I care about my, my health and safety. And some kid that's playing double A here in Toronto goes, oh yeah, well then yeah. I want that too, mom. So it is a trickle effect. I am proud to see some of the AHL teams uh, starting to wear it. I know some of the NCAA teams that like I've played for, or I know uh, some kids that are there are wearing them. So it's unfortunate and so tragic that it might've taken his life to, to help people to understand it. But um, I really do think it will, it will catch on. And I, I sh- certainly hope it will. Uh, that's a really great perspective. Ish. I really appreciate it. I know it's a tough topic and mm-hmm. I-, I love what you said there about guys like Matthews and, some of the top NHLers. I remember uh, even just playing ODR hockey, it was never cool to have your jersey untucked until uh, Ovechkin started doing it or Kovalchuk started doing it. And then all of a sudden, everybody did it and you didn't even think twice about it. It was just the cool thing to do. And I think you make such a good point about, you know, setting the standard and, and maybe Matthews and maybe those guys don't think about it much for their own safety, but the impact that they can have, you're right, just flows all the way down and it's so much easier to sell to younger players playing hockey and, and all of that and understanding mm-hmm. the importance of it. I think that's just a, an outstanding way of looking at it. Uh, I really appreciate the time as always. Uh, thanks for hopping on with us today. Can't wait to chat with you again next week. Hey, eh? of course. Have a great week guys. We'll Take chat care. next week. Thanks. Alice for far joining us down the Atlas beach and sports bar guest hotline. She's our Wednesday regular here on Sportsnet nine sixty. the fan. And uh, yes, if we, Missed it. I know it was earlier on in the week when PK was here, but uh, thinking about Adam Johnson, his entire family after that terrible accident uh, that took place over the weekend uh, with the Nottingham Panthers, and uh, hopefully we do see more of an emphasis. Ryan Huska was asked about it uh, during his press conference today with the Calgary Flames about you know cut protection, neck guards, all that sort of stuff, and their importance going forward. And uh, yeah, I think it would set a good standard for for lots of young hockey players, men and women, to to see the pros doing it. It's, it's their choice. It's, I'm not going to say that we need to mandate anything, but um, yeah, I, I do think it would be a, a wise thing for a lot of people to at least start to look into it um, a little bit more as far as safety goes for those type of accidents. I'm Logan Gordon. This is Sportsnet today. We got one more segment to go. It's Calgary flames game day. They're welcoming in the Dallas stars. We're off to a really hot start this season. Five, one and one for the Dallas stars. How have they gotten there? We'll take a look at the opposition next. Brian Ray joins us to break down the Flames' opponent around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is the Flames and the Dallas Stars tonight from the Scotiabank Saddledome. Your Flames pregame show with Pat Steinberg gets going at 5.30 this evening from the Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. We'll take you all the way up till uh, 6.30, excuse me. A little bit of an early start at the Dome tonight. For the Flames and the Stars, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson will have the call right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. We can tell you Connor Zary is expected to make his NHL debut in place of an injured Dylan Dubé. Nikita Zadorov will play, and we're expecting Jacob Markstrom to get the start in goal for the Flames. It was an optional morning skate for the team, so lines and D pairings will come to you during that Flames warm-up with Pat Steinberg a little bit later on this afternoon. The opponent tonight for the Calgary Flames, the Dallas Stars, 5-1-1, one one, off to one of their best starts in franchise history. How do they get there? What can we expect tonight 
from the Dallas Stars to help us answer some of those questions. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome in Brian Ray, who covers the Dallas Stars for Bally Sports Southwest. Brian, thanks for the time as always, sir. How are you? I'm kind of fired up now because you, you brought me in with the Sum 41 music <laughs> bed. That's a, that's a great way to get it going. I appreciate that. I'm good for anybody that uh, that recognizes some Sum 41 uh, on the interior. How are you doing, Brian? I, I'm doing good. To not take this too far off the rails, since you enjoy a little Sum 41, I'll, I have this for you. They came to Dallas this summer, so my wife and I saw Sum 41 open for Simple Plan who opened for the offspring who were the headliner. It was awesome. That's unbelievable. Good show. Holy. Yes. As a 90, as a nineties kid, it was a show. No doubt. I'm a little jealous of that. Now that you mentioned that, holy (laughs) opener, sometimes hit and miss. That's a pretty good way to start a show. Um, yeah. Wow, that's uh, that is a great way to start it off, uh, Brian. Yeah. What do you, what do you got for me now, Logan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about the Flames start to the season? It's not quite as good as that. Uh, look, Dallas off to a great start, five one and one. I mentioned that's one of their best starts in franchise history. Uh, what's led to the early success for the Dallas Stars, Brian? Uh, two things. One, Jake Ottinger has been uh, has been a huge part of it, and then for me, it's. It's it's a little nitpicky on our part because you look at the Stars five one and one record and it, it's hard to complain about that if you, if if you're any team, but Jake Ottinger has been fantastic. The the penalty kill has been fantastic, and Ottinger is an extension of that. And for us, the power play number is kind of weird at nine and a half percent. If you would have told, I think anybody that the stars would have the third best points percentage in the league entering November with one goal from Jason Robertson and a power play under 10%. Those numbers don't really add up when, when you look at them laid out like that, but the depth is really good. The goaltending has been really good. The defense has been good. So foundational elements like that, it, it's paid off for the Dallas stars right now, early on. And I guess, from from that perspective, Brian, if you're, you know, if you're Jim Nill and Pete DeBoer looking at this thing, the power play you can work on, and with the guys that you've mentioned, you assume that's going to find its legs at some point during the season. If you want to start off a year anyway, playing really good at even strength and five on five like the Stars have been, that's usually one of the biggest starting points for most head coaches coming out of training camp. So you've kind of got to be okay with how it started. I know you'd like more production, but like you said kind of the fundamentals have been strong for this team. I I agree with you. I I think any coach would like to have their goaltending, their defense, and probably their five-on-five game in place at the start of a season if if a coach gets to choose what he wants. I do keep the caveat out there, however. This is what I would consider to be the first real road trip for the Dallas Stars. They've played road games but they've been one-off scenarios and the start of their season was really fractured. They're, they're, they played one game in an eight day span from the end of the, their last preseason game to their second game of the season. It was kind of a weird schedule and they went and played Vegas and Anaheim and then they came home and they had a handful of days off. Then they shoot out to Pittsburgh. They come home to play Toronto then they had an entire weekend off over Halloween. So there's been these little 
one or two game spurts followed by a long sequence of days off compared to what you normally see in an NHL schedule. So this is their first three games in four nights or five of their next six are on their road or on the road. They've got five games over an eight night span. So to finally get them ratcheted up to, to full in season speed, it'll be interesting to see how does it go going into Calgary, going into Edmonton on your first back to back Vancouver has been a different looking team this year compared to last year. And I know the start for the flames has been not good compared compared to what I think we all thought we might see out of them this year or, or what's demanded of them. But you still look at some of the names on that roster, and it's like, okay, that there are no free points when you're going to Western Canada this season right now. I think that's the, the simplest way to put it. Uh, Brian, I think when most people look at this Stars team, second oldest in the NHL, we know some of the vets that have been around for a long time, and, and Jamie Benn and, and obviously Joe Pavelski, who have led this team for a number of years. But – uh, it's a youngster, one of the youngest in the league, actually, that's been on quite the start for them this year. Wyatt Johnston, seven points. That's one more than first overall selection, Connor Bedard. And I, I know we're not here to compare, but that's just the, the facts in front of us. How impressive has the 20-year-old been in your eyes to start this season? He's looked really good, and we've, my co-host and I, we we've said at different times, it looks like he's been the best forward on the roster. And I, I think for him, the smart thing he did from uh, a sophomore slump or a second-year standpoint, he, he came back to Dallas, and he, he's living with Pavelski again. Last year as a 19-year-old, they, they put him up with the Pavelski family. He didn't have to worry about living on his own or paying rent or cooking on his own. He, he had essentially a, a billet family in the NHL, and it was Joe Pavelski we wondered what would he do for year two and they just ran it back. You know, Pavelski at the end of last season said, look, he's got the key and we're keeping the room intact. He's welcome to come back. And they, they all decided to run it back essentially. So they've sort of kept him insulated a little bit from maybe some of those outside circumstances of living on your own or having to cook on your own or, or manage your own personal life when, when you're only 20 years old as a, instead of being 19 like he was last year. So I think you take a little bit of that off the table. And then, and then two, I think back to when I was 19 or 20 years old or, or some of us were 19 or 20 years old, your body is still naturally growing and it, it's still filtering testosterone off to, to different parts of it. So I still think there's this natural growth element. And I think he came back just physically stronger, physically in better shape combined with a year of experience combined with a year of knowledge in terms of his hockey mind and his hockey IQ. And early on, we're seeing the dividends pay off that it doesn't look like there's going to be a sophomore slump of any kind. I think as an organization, they've put him in the best situation to eliminate a possible sophomore slump. He's put himself in the best possible situation. And right now with the depth the stars have, it's not like he had a great rookie year last year. And now he has to come in in year two and he has to be top line, top power play, top contributor. He still has the same supporting cast and expectations around him. He's added a little bit of penalty kill time mm -hmm. and they've given him some power play shifts or some overtime shifts. But otherwise th that's, the workload hasn't really changed or increased. Okay, so let's go from uh, a young guy on the Dallas Stars team to a, a more veteran guy that came in this offseason. Uh, Matt Duchesne uh, has been on his fifth NHL team now, obviously spending time 
Colorado, Nashville, a little bit in Ottawa and Columbus. What kind of impact has, has Matt Duchesne had compared to what we were expecting in the offseason? I think the last game against Columbus, the Stars began to see the early returns. Duchesne was really good through the first six games. The, the numbers weren't there, but the the eyeball test, he was clearly one of the more dominant forwards, whether it was puck possession. If you do want to look at some of the metrics, his time on ice was up there amongst forwards. He was, he hit a couple of posts, you know, attempts were there. Just all the little things you want to see in terms of driving a line or driving player or possession in the offensive zone, they were all there. He just didn't have a goal. And he finally got his first goal, not counting a a shootout tally back on, uh, on opening night. But he finally picked up his first goal last game against Columbus. And the vision for him was when they signed him in the offseason, could he play on a line with Tyler Sagan and preferably Mason Marchment? And that's the way it's been so far. But could he unlock a line of those three players, Duchesne, Sagan, and Marchment, and have real offensive impact on the road. Could they create some mismatches at home? Could it essentially be a third line of real offensive punch? And the stars actually had injuries in training camp. Rope hints was out. So Tyler Sagan wasn't playing with Duchesne and with Marchment basically all through training camp into the first two or three games of the, of the regular season. The last game against Columbus, and I know it's Columbus. I think they're better this year, but I don't think people look at Columbus as a bona fide playoff team. But they were, without a doubt, the Stars' best line. And I think for us locally, we're looking at those three and wondering, okay, now they've had a couple of weeks and a couple of games together. Are we finally seeing some line chemistry and a rhythm where those three players are going to figure each other out and be really impactful on the ice. So jumping into Calgary and going on the road, this is the perfect test. Stars can't dictate any matchups. So if that line gets out there, who are they going to be going up against and what is the potential impact in terms of chances offensively? Uh, Brian, wouldn't it be great to be Joe Pavelski and just seemingly never age? Um, The guy continues to just be (laughs) impressive year after year. He's one of the best all-time players uh, against the Calgary Flames. He's been a flame killer for years, but the guy's 39 years old. He's at six points in seven games. I- I've watched a couple of Stars games this year, and I don't know, you-, you can disagree with me if you feel like you do, but I don't know that he's lost a step or looks any less effective than he has in his entire Dallas tenure. I continue to be impressed by him. Well, you mentioned us wanting to be Joe Pavelski. How about in the summer offseason when he goes and plays that golf tournament in Tahoe and he was the runner-up this time to Steph Curry? Like, he just does anything he wants at a supremely high level. But but Brent Burns said it best. He can't lose a step because he never had a step. You know, his old his old teammate in San Jose. Yeah. But, but I think that does speak to, to the intelligence factor. And, and I heard Jim Neal give an interview, and he, you know, he, he, he had this example where he'll, he'll talk to younger players and be like, are you stronger and faster than Joe Pavelski? And and they'll say, yes. And he'll say, then why is Joe Pavelski the one coming out of the corner with the puck, making a play (laughs) and putting himself in position to score a goal. And it goes back to the old hockey IQ conversation. I, I think he just thinks the game at an elite level compared to other players in the national hockey league. And then you give him a thoroughbred in Rope Hints and an offensive weapon in Jason Robertson, 
combined with his ability to think the game, and he can just put himself in position to make plays, whether it's deflecting goals or assisting on goals or just being a distraction of some kind and opening, opening up opportunities for another player to, to, to create an offensive impact somehow. So I, I think the older he gets, it just puts the spotlight more on his intelligence to know himself, his body, and the game on the ice to just be in a position to do something positive. And when you're playing with a Robertson and a Hintz, doing something positive is probably still worth 70 points right off the hop, which is what he's doing. It's been so impressive, and i got to imagine, uh, I'm not as close to it, obviously, as you guys are there, but he seems like a guy that would just have such a positive impact on those young guys and showing them the way to be a pro and how to be an effective NHL or on a night-to-night basis. If I'm, if I'm Jim Nill, I want those guys spending as much time with Joe Pavelski as they possibly can. Well, it, like I said before, Wyatt Johnston is living with him for, yeah. for a second season. And last year, that was a DeBoer nil call. This year, I think it was a Wyatt Johnston call. It's now at the point where Joe Pavelski jumps on the ice 15 minutes before every morning skate and works on deflections. Well, now he'll have five to seven teammates come with him 15 minutes beforehand and work on deflections or work on something. And you know, it's the same thing in Calgary, probably. And, and I don't know if Giordano a handful of years ago is a good example because I don't cover the team locally. But there's always the resident old guy without a cup that a lot of NHL teams have that it's just naturally easy to root for. And I think here in Dallas, Suter's one of those guys. Ben is one of those guys. Joe Pavelski is certainly one of those guys. And I think there's a handful of teams around the league. You can find those guys and it is easy to root for those players. So Pavelski is one of those guys. Brian Ray along with us this afternoon from Bally sports Southwest covering the Dallas stars, the opposition tonight for the Calgary flames. First meeting between these two teams on the season here at the Scotia bank saddle dome. Who's impressed early on. And some of those guys maybe that we haven't mentioned or that we don't talk about on a day-to-day basis, Brian, that, uh, have earned some some uh, accolades in your mind for this start to the Dallas 5-1-1? One, and one. You know what? It's I won't use the word accolades, but if you're looking at two sort of under-the-radar guys, the biggest question mark for the Stars entering this season was their, was their blue line. You know, Haskinen is Haskinen. What occurs after Haskinen? And can they find a way to strengthen their decor a little bit? Well, they went out and got Duchesne and they picked up Craig Smith. They they didn't sign a free agent defenseman. They essentially made the choice. Can Thomas Harley and Niels Lundqvist internally take steps forward? Because they're both former first rounders and kids in their early twenties. So it's one of those, if they take a step forward, you now have internal improvements and you didn't have to spend any money or draft capital in order to pick that up. So, so far, both guys have looked good. You know, Niels Lundqvist is getting the first crack at running the second power play unit. And he's looked fine. Thomas Harley has looked fine, essentially playing in a second pairing role. So neither of those guys have had some egregiously bad game or some matchup where they were just, you know, vastly exposed on, on the back end of the ice. They've looked comfortable, but there's also growing pains that come when you give young kids consistent playing time. So there's going to be, 
mistakes and moments here and there. But those are the two under-the-radar names that I think you have to watch on the Dallas side because if they improve and turn into a legitimate, call it middle pair or three to five, you know, numbered defenseman, that probably helps out the Dallas blue line internally. And you, you mentioned it, and I don't know if there's a better value in the, the league right now than what uh, Jake Ottinger's given this team. Every I mean, really simple, Brian, I don't think we have to go much into it. He's put himself in early on, at least, into the Vesna conversation, and I don't think anyone in Dallas is surprised about that, given how well he's played the last couple seasons. He has, and the big thing for us is workload. And, you know, you've probably seen this with Markstrom during his times in Calgary. What's what's the right number of games for a number one goaltender? Is it 50? Is it 55? Ottinger played, I believe it was 61 last year. And they have made it a priority, and Pete DeBoer has said this ad nauseum back through training camp. Managing the workload of Jake Ottinger is a key priority for them this year. So Jake Ottinger... Tonight, I would imagine it's a back-to-back. We see Scott Wedgwood tomorrow, and just how do this? How do those games get managed for Ottinger over the course of this season? And then how does it affect his play? Trying to keep him as fresh as possible. You're right. The start's been awesome. Now, can you take you know the month of October and stretch it over, let's say, 50 games? Can he maintain or or play himself into that Vesna conversation long term? Brian, appreciate the time as always. Thank you for hopping on with us this afternoon. Great stuff. Uh, Enjoy the game tonight. I'm sure we'll chat again uh, when these two teams meet up again later this season. Yep, talk to you soon, man. Enjoy it, Logan. Take care. Thank you. Brian Ray joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar, a guest hotline on the Calgary Flames game day for a look at the opposition, the Dallas Stars, 5-1-1 to start the season, one of their best starts in franchise history. Uh, a group you know a lot about going back to that playoff series a couple of years ago between these two teams. Not a lot of different faces. I mentioned Matt Duchesne. He's there. Some of the younger guys have started to step up like a Wyatt Johnston, but it's the Jake Ottingers, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, big heavy group. Obviously, Jason Robertson uh, leads the way as far as a scoring perspective goes. Won't be an easy one for the Calgary Flames tonight. Jake Ottinger is expected to make the start in goal for Dallas. What we can tell you from a Flames perspective, again, early start tonight. It's a 6.30 start at the uh, Scotiabank Saddle Dome. So warm up with the one and only Pat Steinberg goes at 5.30. Don't miss it. He'll give you lines and D pairings because it was an optional morning skate for the Calgary Flames. So we don't know how Ryan Huska's group's going to line up, but we can tell you Connor Zary is in, expected to make his NHL debut tonight. That's good news for the Calgary Flames. He'll likely come in for an injured Dylan Dubé. Nikita Zadorov expected to play after missing practice earlier this week, and we're expecting Jacob Markstrom to make what would be his fourth consecutive start in goal tonight against the Dallas Stars. Uh, lots of talk, almost too much talk in between games for the Calgary Flames here. Yes, a tough loss on a big stage at the Heritage Classic Saturday against the Edmonton Oilers, but this team has to start to show something on the ice. I'm excited for Zary. I hope he brings a, a nice, youthful energy burst to this group. It's been a lot of negative, um, and deservedly so. I'm not going to say that it's out of place, but this Calgary Flames team, Elias Lindholm said it earlier, if you missed it, uh, on a game day in hour one, this team has has said everything. Enough talk. It's time to put it out on the ice, or else we're going to have to have a bigger conversation, a more realistic conversation about this team going forward. They know what to say. 
I think that's pretty clear. No one's afraid to to say that they've been bad or they need to get better. That's that's great. Go out and do it. Stop talking about it. Start producing on the ice or the talk doesn't mean anything. And you can be as honest as Nikita Zadorov or you can give, you know, the the standard answer to every question that you need to be better and we're working on it as a team, the the blah blah blah, the here we hear a thousand times during an NHL season. This team is a month into the year. It's not early anymore. You've gotten off to a really bad start. You've got to climb yourself out of it. If you have that potential, if you think this is the right group, if you think you have the pieces to to go out and win hockey games, start winning hockey games. Because the talk means nothing anymore for this group. It is all about results. And if those results don't come, then we know everything that they've been talking about or telling us the last couple of weeks is for nothing. And it's time to start saying the actual right things and being a little bit more honest about the situation that the Calgary Flames are in. It's a tough opponent tonight. Let's see what uh, what happens with Connor's area in the lineup. Looking forward to it. Thank you to Brian Ray, Alish Forfar, and Andy McNamara for joining us on the program today. If you missed any of it, please check us out on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatchers. Thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And a quick thank you to my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, for their great work. We'll turn things over to Real Kipper and Bourne. Ahead of Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. Flames coverage gets going this afternoon at 5.30 for a game day against the Dallas Stars. Right here on your home of the Calgary Flames, this is Sportsnet 960, The Fan.